If you would please take out your Bibles and turn with me to Esther chapter 5. Esther 5. Our sermon text this morning will be Esther 5, verses 1 through 8. Now before we read God's word, will you just take a moment to pray with me? Lord, your your word is good, lasting, and true. Yet we do not claim to know it like we should. And as we read these words and attempt to learn from them, we need the help of your Spirit to illumine our sins and to illumine our understandings. That we might see what you would have us see. And we ask this accordingly through the mediating work of your Son, in Jesus' name, amen. So Esther chapter 5, starting in verse 1, just through verse 8. On the third day, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the king's palace. In front of the king's quarters, while the king was sitting on his royal throne inside the throne room, opposite the entrance to the palace. And when the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court, she won favor in his sight. And he held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. Then Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. And the king said to her, what is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? It shall be given you even to half of my kingdom. And Esther said, if it please the king, let the king and Haman come today to a feast that I have prepared for the king. Then the king said, bring Haman quickly, so we may do as Esther has asked. So the king and Haman came to the feast that Esther had prepared. And as they were drinking wine after the feast, the king said to Esther, what is your wish? It shall be granted you, and what is your request? Even to half of my kingdom, it shall be fulfilled. Then Esther answered, My wish and my request is, if I have found favor in the sight of the king, and if it please the king to grant my wish and fulfill my request, let the king and Haman come to the feast that I will prepare for them, and tomorrow I will do as the king has said. So we've arrived to this pivotal moment in the book of Esther. As Queen Esther approaches the the king of Persia, King Ahasuerus, Throughout our journey, we've seen the the great paradox of the book of Esther, which Taylor mentioned in his first sermon, that God is omnipotently present even where God is most conspicuously absent. God is omnipotently present even where God is most conspicuously absent. While the absence of explicit reference to God may seem strange to us, the reader, it does not indicate that he is absent from the story. Far from it even, God's unseen hand has been at work behind the scenes orchestrating events and fulfilling his purpose through Esther. God's unseen hand has been at work behind the scenes orchestrating events and fulfilling his purpose through Esther. 
I want you to consider how God's uh, providential work has unfolded so far. First, Esther is chosen to take place in this international beauty contest to become the queen of King Ahasuerus. Then, once chosen to be a part of this contest, Esther wins favor with the king's eunuch, Haggai. And then finally, when her time comes before the king, she wins the king's favor. Now, these are not mere coincidences. These are divine workings. Sometimes in our own lives, we overlook subtle ways that God is working, taking small things especially for granted. Other times, his hand is unmistakably evident, and he works in ways that cause us to to proclaim that God is doing something here in this moment. Now, we should always pray that our spirits would be attuned to the Spirit of God, to sense Him working in our daily life, in the minute, small details, as well as the obvious and major ways. Here, however, in the story of Esther, in this narrative, God shouts, I am in control. In this pivotal passage, we have to remind ourselves that the hero of this book is not Esther. Even though Esther is the one who is putting her life on the line to bring deliverance to the Jewish people, we have to recognize that God is the one who is at work to set the stage, and God is the one who offers real hope of salvation. Now, turning to our attention to our passage, we discover three themes. First, the result of prayer. We, we witness the power of Esther's fasting and seeking God before she approaches the king. So we see the result of prayer. Second, we see the grace of the king. Ahasuerus extends his golden scepter to Esther, demonstrating his mercy and favor towards him, her. And then third, we see a patient plan. Esther does not rush to persuade the king, but wisely awaits on the Lord's timing. So first, the the result of prayer. Esther's approach to the king was preceded in chapter 4 by a a period of fasting and prayer. In response to Mordecai's request to Esther to, to act and to confront the king, Esther instructs all of the Jews in Susa by Mordecai to join her in a three-day fast, night and day. And she says there at the end of chapter 4, she says, Then I will go to the king. And she says, Though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. For anyone to appear before the king without first being summoned was against Persian law. And it was punishable by death. Now on the third day of the fast, Esther has understood that her time has come. She cannot delay any longer. If she trusts in the prayers of the people of God, then she now has to step forward and confront the king. Now Esther's understanding of King Ahasuerus and his character certainly informed the way that she approached this conversation. 
Let's take a, a second and recall just who King Ahasuerus is. He's not a good guy. He's not a good husband by any standards. This is the same man who uh, had his previous wife, Queen Vashti, banished because she refused to show up and entertain him and his drinking buddies. He is not a good guy. He is not our example, believers. And so, when we look at the story of Esther, we're reminded of other biblical narratives. Stories like Joseph and Moses, where a young Jew who is uh, experiencing extremely difficult circumstances is brought to a place of high nobility or great authority in a foreign court in order to deliver the people of God from certain tragedy or enslavement. That's the kind of picture that we see here too in Esther. Esther's story is not like Cinderella or Snow White, where a, a beautiful young maiden meets a handsome and char charming and honorable prince, and they live happily ever after. There's nothing charming or honor honorable about the abuse and the narcissism of Ahasuerus. So this is the context that Esther has found herself in. So Esther knows her husband well enough to know that if she is going to confront him, she is going to have to appeal to his carnality because that's just the kind of man that he is. So how do you appeal to this kind of man? How do you persuade King Ahasuerus? Through beauty. Esther dresses up in her royal robes in order to enhance her beauty and she stands in the inner court of the king's palace. Now, just to paint this picture a little bit for you, the king's hall would have been astoundingly massive and ornate. This would not be like walking in my office where as soon as you open the door, you're on my desk. It is a huge room with 36 columns lining the length of the room, each 65 feet tall, the likes of which have never been replicated by human hands. This was the throne room of a man who considered himself a god. And at one end sat the king, and at the other stood Esther. Esther had come to her moment of trial. She had no way out but to confront the king. There's a few interesting scenes playing themselves out here that I want to be sure to point out as we traverse on in our text. Notably, before Esther approaches the king, she calls on the Jewish people to fast and to pray and to intercede on her behalf, to appeal to God to work on behalf of Esther before she confronts King Ahasuerus. Now, this collective act of prayer holds for us some gospel imagery. Just as Esther relied on the prayers of the exiled Jewish people, we as believers approach God with the assurance that Jesus Christ, our great mediator, intercedes on our behalf. So catch that imagery again. 
Esther approaches the king in the confidence of the prayers of the Jewish people. We can approach the king of kings in the confidence of the mediating work of Jesus Christ. Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 2, For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. Now if the prayers of an unfaithful and exiled Jewish people can appeal to God to soften the heart of an unjust king, I want you to think about the confidence that we can have to approach the only truly just king knowing that Jesus Christ, the perfect Lamb of God, the one who laid himself down as a ransom for us, he is the one interceding on our behalf. Now like Esther also, we do not come before the king in filthy rags drenched in the sin and the guilt of this world. We who are in Christ have been washed clean by the blood of the Lamb. And He clothes us, like Esther in her royal robes, He clothes us in garments of salvation and covers us in robes of righteousness so that we might come before God in confidence and draw near without fearing death. As I read this story, I was struck with the instructions given to the Hebrew believers. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. When the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court, dressed in her royal robes and radiating beauty, favor stirred within him. The result of the collective prayer of the Jews in Susa became evident. Along with the gospel imagery, here we directly see the effectiveness of prayer to soften the heart of the king. I wonder how much more productive And grace-filled, our own conversations would be if they were more often preceded by prayer. I can think of my own conversations. I've found that God not only works in the hearts of those who I am speaking to, but He works in my own heart as I pray for them. God stirs in me greater compassion and greater patience that I might not have otherwise towards them. So I can assure you that conversations that I have with my wife and with my kids, with those that I'm discipling and those that I'm sharing the gospel with, with those who need counseling or someone who needs correction, both easy and and difficult conversations, all of them are far more beneficial and far more edifying when they are steeped in prayer. So we see the result of prayer, and then second, we see the grace of the king. As we've already witnessed, Persian culture, uh, Persian culture, Persian law is not something that you want to mess around with. 
And Ahasuerus has demonstrated himself already to be a man who is easily angered and temperamental. Queen Vashti proved that for us when she refused the king's orders to be paraded around in front of a bunch of drunken men to only be ogled at. As one commentator described the situation back with Vashti, Vashti's preservation of her dignity wins for her only the fiercest anger. That's the example that Esther has to go on, how he treated his last wife. So now Esther stands in this huge hallway lined with massive columns, and at the other end is this man who thinks himself a god and is the king over the greatest empire in the world. And Esther stands there, unlike Vashti, she has come to the king, but she has not come invited. Like Vashti, she has shown indifference towards Persian practice. She has broken the legal code of the nation. And no doubt, if Ahasuerus' visors had been there in that moment, they likely would have advised Ahasuerus to act similarly as he acted towards Vashti, or worse, because this is the second queen in a row to make a mockery of the Persian court, they might have told the king to make a greater example out of Esther. Yet the result of Esther's fast worked, as we already have seen. The king did not rush off to find his advisors to tell him how to deal with this rebellious queen. Now, whether the king's heart was softened with love for his bride or whether his eyes were widened to her beauty, we don't really know what caused the queen other than God stirring in his, caused the king to show favor other than God stirring in his heart. Either way, the king extends his scepter towards Queen Esther as a show of his mercy towards her. She does not have to fear punishment. She does not have to fear death as the law demands, but she can freely step into the presence of the king. Now here again, we're reminded of that gospel picture. We, like Esther, have broken the law's demands. We are sinners, every one of us. Paul makes that abundantly clear throughout all of his letters. But especially in, in Romans and in Romans 3, he says, What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God, all have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of, venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. In the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Then only a few verses later, Paul says, For all have sinned and, so, and fall short of the glory of God. We've all sinned against a holy God.
God. The penalty of which is death. Now Esther stood before King Ahasuerus wondering, is this the end? How can we, great sinners as we are, stand before a holy God? We can't stand there hoping in our own beauty. We can't stand there hoping that our own righteousness will reconcile our relationship with God. We need a righteousness that is greater than our own. We need a righteousness that is outside of our own. We need the righteousness of Jesus Christ. If you're not a Christian, let me tell you that there is no coming before the King as you are without sure and certain destruction. It's a fate that is as inescapable as death itself. Yet, the hope of salvation is freely offered to you only through faith. And that's the beauty of the gospel. Has Esther relied on faith to stand before the king in the confidence of the, medi- of the uh, mediating prayers and fasts of the Jewish people? It is faith in the work of Jesus Christ that allows us to come before God. And he's not waiting on you to clean yourself up or to put on your Sunday best to come before him. He comes to you and he makes you clean through the blood of his own son on the cross. Through the gospel, he dresses you in your royal robes, and he bids you to come before his throne. Esther came uninvited, but you can come invited today. Now, as Esther approached to touch the king's golden scepter, you can feel the the tension in the room just kind of release. Esther can breathe again. And finally, we see a patient plan. A patient plan. When Esther approaches, the king asks her, What is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? It shall be given you even to half of my kingdom. Now, this interesting phrase was not uncommon for kings like Ahasuerus to make. We see it again in the New Testament, in Mark, when King Herod makes the same promise to Herodias' daughter, ultimately leading to the beheading of John the Baptist. But King Ahasuerus' promise does not come without consequences. If Esther were to ask for too much, she might lose the favor of the king. If she were to ask for too little, it might not be enough to redeem the Jewish people. If she were to be too bold, King Ahasuerus might go off into another childlike rant and have Esther banished like Vashti. Esther needed to be wise with her request. She needed to be coy. She needed to make sure that the king did not suspect any malicious intent. 
And so Esther needed to be patient. In spite of the king's generous offer, Esther knew that the time was not yet right. Now, if you're like me, when you, when you come to this point in the story, after everything that has, has happened, you think, just do it. Get it over with. We have been waiting You've already spent three days in prayer. You've made all of the Jewish people in Susa spend three days fasting and praying on your behalf. Get it over with, Esther. You feel kind of like the the second car behind a traffic light when the light turns green and that car in front of you is still just sitting there. You want to lay on your horn like, let's go, Esther, come on. But in spite of this, Esther chooses patience and invites the king and Haman to a feast later that evening. Now, the king's ready to go. He, he, uh, he hurries and calls for Haman to come quickly so that they can have this feast. His day's over. He's ready to eat. Now, it's obvious when we look at this story that the reason that God puts it in Esther's heart to wait and to be patient at this time is because he is still working behind the scenes. He is still acting and moving in the heart of the king and acting in the life of Haman, as we'll see in the next part of this chapter, to prepare the situation, to prepare the scene for his grand deliverance. Now, in our lives... We can be tempted in seasons like this, in seasons of high stress and in challenges and in trials, to rush ahead and to try to take matters into our own hands. If you're like me, you believe there's not a challenge too big or an obstacle too tall. There's always a solution to everything. You just have to figure it out. Unfortunately, we never want that solution to be just wait. In reality, many of life's life's obstacles are put there by God for us to do just that, to wait. And it's never the answer that we're looking for. Waiting is made even harder when we don't know how long we'll have to be waiting for. We don't have answers for when the end of this season will come. How long will the treatments last? How long will recovery take? How long will my loved one wander away, my son or my daughter or my wife or my husband? How long will the grief and the weight of loss last? Heartbreak, illness, depression, grief. As we wait, we draw hope from stories like Esther's. Even when God seems most distant and silent, He is near. Hear that again. You need to hear that. Even in the most difficult seasons of waiting, when God seems most distant and silent, He is near orchestrating events according to his sovereignty and the love that he has for his children. 
He is near, orchestrating events according to His sovereignty and the love that He has for His children. When we wait, we're reminded of the psalmist's words in Psalm 27. He says, wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Esther's plan unfolds as she invites the king and Haman to feast, to a feast that she has prepared. It may seem like a simple invitation. It may seem annoying to us because we want the story to progress a little bit faster, but it serves a divinely strategic purpose. At the feast, again, Esther doesn't reveal her true intention right away. Instead, to our great frustration, she invites the king and Haman to another feast the next night. Esther's patient plan is allowing her to build favor with the king and allowing God to continue working behind the scenes until everything is perfectly ready as he has orchestrated it. Now, there's much more that we could learn from this passage. The the importance of having patience, the power of strategic planning, the positive, uh, positive effects of a good meal or two. But nothing could be more important than reminding ourselves once again who is in control here. Recall again what we've already stated, that, the, that great paradox of the book of Esther. That God is omnipotently present even where God is most conspicuously absent. God's unseen hand has been at work. God has been working behind the scenes, orchestrating events, and fulfilling his purpose. Now, as we reflect on this pivotal moment in the book of Esther, of course, we're reminded of the power of prayer, the grace of the king, and the importance of patiently waiting on the Lord. The patient actions of Esther teach us the value of waiting on the Lord and trusting in his timing. And as we navigate our own lives, may we be attuned to the work of the Spirit of God, working both in in the minute details and the grand scheme to constantly bring about God's will and purpose. Let us trust in His sovereignty and rest in the assurance that He is in control as we are called to wait through life's most difficult trials. Will you pray with me? Father, we love you. Lord, and we know that you are good. And we know that your will is perfect. But God, waiting is hard. God, we pray in the midst of trials and challenges that your spirit would be with us, strengthening us and equipping us for the days ahead. God, we pray as your church that we would be lifting one another up in prayer. God, pointing one another to the hope of the cross. 
We pray that you would use your word to change our hearts and that we would faithfully live it out. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.